Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? It's going fine. Uh, we got some new updated stay-at-home orders this week. So did you, I think, in North Carolina. I think ours are about the same here for Nashville proper and the state of North Carolina. Yes. So Tennessee and North Carolina are are very different in terms of the states, but it does seem like Nashville is following a similar similar plan. Maybe not exact same dates, but a similar plan. It uh, seems to be following the phases. Yeah, what the CDC put out. Right. So one step at a time. Our stay-at-home order has been extended to May 8th, and then we hopefully will start phase one, which really is a lot like a stay-at-home order. So... <laughs> Which is not much different. Right. But we could, at, at that point, as I understand it, we maybe could get together with another family as long as there's not 10 people, not more than 10 people. So so if we have uh, some friends that have also been quarantining, they've not been around places exposed, we might be able to get together for dinner, which I think would be really good for our our family and our kids, find some some people to get together with. Yeah. But we'll do that for a few weeks and then kind of lift some things a little bit more. And so we'll be into the summer before we might get to, to, to start doing some of the things with a little larger groups. But, yeah. but on the positive side, uh, it's possible some churches or small groups or things like that in some of these states may begin to start slowly kind of reopening in the next couple of weeks. We're starting to, to see that maybe in yes. Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee. Right. And the phases I just said, when I said that first phase looks a lot like the stay-at-home order, that's more for me. It is that more businesses will be able to mm -hmm. open than not just the sort of baseline essentials, but maybe some retail stores, things like that will be able to open. So for the local economy here, that will be very good. It's a step in the right direction. It just will not change a lot about my routine, but it's it's movement. And we do expect some information next week for those of y'all listening to this, you know, kind of when it's dropped or we're dropping this on April 24th. So this weekend or whatever, we do expect some information coming out next week from state conventions, from even from the SBC, uh, the executive committee uh, on what churches need to consider as we move toward reopening. So some questions for churches to ask, some ideas, some thoughts. And we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about a vacation Bible school. Big thing coming up, probably for a lot of people in about four to six weeks of the earliest scheduled vacation Bible schools. But that is a big thing in the summer. We've got a story on that later uh, in the show, talking about some maybe different ways you can do that, depending on what's going on in your particular area of the country. That's right. But first, Amy, we start at Lifeway in your home state, though, at Ridgecrest, where this week, following a special called meeting of the Lifeway trustees, Lifeway has now been authorized to explore the sale of the Ridgecrest Conference Center and summer camps. This really hit the airwaves, hit the internet, and I have seen it everywhere. Big reaction from everyone. Yes, absolutely. In some ways, for maybe you and I who were at Lifeway when they began to walk through this with Glorietta, some of this feels a little familiar in terms of just the process. But 
it's still, there's an, a real emotional connection that people have with Ridgecrest in particular. And we saw some of that reaction with Glorietta from folks who are in the Western part of the U.S., but many more people that I know here in the Southeast reacting quickly and with just some emotion and sadness over this. Ridgecrest has been a major part of Lifeway over the years, and more than 70,000 guests annually visit the conference center located in uh, Black Mountain, right outside of Black Mountain, North Carolina, home of my favorite coffee shop in the state of North Carolina too, Amy, by the way. That would be the Drippolator. Those of you who have been would probably agree with me on that. But anyway, back to Ridgecrest. It, well, yeah. hold up, hold up. It's it's pretty amazing. Yes. But the Triangle has some good ones too. So well, yeah. if I have to put, you know, Jubala. You're, you said the whole state. Jubala, I mean, Sola. No. There's a lot of great ones. Hot takes. So. From me yeah. on this today. But the Drippolator is pretty amazing. I'm so experienced in my North Carolina coffee drinking. All right. like three well, places I've been. Uh, fair so enough. yeah, uh, but the Drippolator, my favorite. Anyway, so Ridgecrest, there in Black Mountain, North Carolina, right outside of Black Mountain, North Carolina, is part of Lifeway. The 1,200 acre campus is now authorized to be sold by the trustees, uh, despite the fact that the conference center camps have been operating at a profit in recent years. There's a, a Baptist Press article mm-hmm. on this, and also it links to an FAQ, which may help for some who maybe want who maybe want more information. And one question that I think was helpful is it it asks about the future of Lifeways camps and events held at Ridgecrest, and they said they're going to continue to operate camps. It just says we've determined we don't need to own a hospitality facility in order to provide trustworthy experiences such as those provided through camps and events. Historically, Lifeway, as the Sunday School Board, operated camps and events at Ridgecrest before owning the facility. Mm -hmm. And it says they would hope that working with the new owner, they could even continue to use Ridgecrest for future events. So it is possible. Now, we don't know for sure, but it is possible that there's still opportunity for people to be at Ridgecrest, that that's uh, that th- this announcement doesn't necessarily mean that there wouldn't be future camps and conference opportunities there, but it certainly will be different. So I have a question for you, Jonathan. Okay. What was your first time at Ridgecrest? Because I think a lot of people are remembering things. So I want to hear your Ridgecrest memory. I went for a trustee meeting in like 2013. So this is... The, th- this was just really in your Lifeway career. Yeah. There you go. I had been to neither Glorietta nor Ridgecrest growing up. So never had been there until I came to Lifeway. Right. And I've only been to Ridgecrest. Never, I've still never been to Glorietta. Yeah. I've never been to Glorietta. But so, I, you know, I didn't grow up Southern Baptist. So I don't have that connection from childhood. But I do remember having a friend who was, uh, she was at First Baptist Orlinda. I believe in Tennessee. And I think they used to go to Ridgecrest all the time. And she would, she would tell me stories about things they would, that would happen at Ridgecrest on their trip. And she kept referring to it kind of like I would know what it was. And I had no idea what Ridgecrest was. So my friend Melissa would talk about the place all the time. And it was, it seemed very special. And then it was years later that in college, I went to an FCA retreat at Ridgecrest, and that was my first time to set foot. So this place that had been presented to me as kind of legendary, I actually got to go for the first time and, hmm. and be there, and then went a, a few other times throughout the years, and then uh, obviously working at Lifeway, I was there some. So it, I, what I remember is how special a place it was to my friend, 
And then as a freshman in college, kind of getting to be there for the first time. And boy, it really is beautiful. There are places I love to walk there and and uh, just great facility. So I know this is a tough announcement to for people to hear this week. It's just something to process. But th- these are times where we're hearing lots of announcements from businesses, from you know companies everywhere, just some uncertain, uncertain times. Yes. It looks like the Southern Baptist Assembly was ratified and, and started really to, and it was incorporated in 1907 by the North Carolina Baptist State Convention and the Sunday School Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So it was kind of a joint project. They endorsed it and started building it out. There you go. Wow. Over 100 years. Really cool. Well, we will follow this and, and see what takes place in the future. I mean, this is just the authorization of the sale. This is not an announcement of a sale. So they do not have a buyer. They were clear about that in the FAQ. So that is something that we will continue to watch. Well, you should consider buying it, Jonathan. I would encourage that. And if you if you do, if you enter into conversations, let us know. Keep us posted. I mean, I, I gave all my money away a couple of weeks ago when Gateway had that, that thing. Remember? The anonymous donor. I, I I've already spent. Oh it. yeah, I remember. I've I already remember spent that. that. So can't yeah. can't buy Ridgecrest. Yeah. Okay. Buy well, Ridge I tried. Anymore. I tried. Unless they'll give me the same deal the Glorietta had. <laughs> I got nothing. Okay. All right. Let's. Oh, All right. Since we're talking about camps, let's go to the next yes, story. Yes. Camp update for those of you in Oklahoma. I know you. This may be old news to you, but Falls Creeks and Crossing have canceled their June camps. Uh, they're starting on twenty and the twenty eighth and 29th of June. So moving into August respectively and. Uh, this very similar to what we saw both at Ridgecrest and other Lifeway camps, as Lifeway announced just a couple of weeks ago, that they were canceling their June camps. That does not apply to Camp Crest Ridge or Camp Ridgecrest, though, at Ridgecrest. We've, we've talked about that. But uh, the camp situation for June seems to be universally kind of not going to happen this year. So Falls Creek has said they will not begin on June 1st. They have a tentative start on June 28th, new eight-session schedule. but you know, they'll just, they will, they will have to see. They said that if something else happens that they can't offer the revised camp, they will make that announcement by, by May 18th. Yes. So if we see anything earlier, we'll bring that to you here on the podcast. Got a couple of trustee updates, Amy. We start in Louisville, where Southern has reduced their budget and instituted some structural changes in response to the COVID-19 global pandemic. Yes. So this was a big announcement that came this week. They approved a revised business model and a budget reduction of 30%. That includes a 15% tuition decrease, but it also includes cuts in staff and other structural changes that we're not completely clear on what those all look like, but that that should come in the days ahead. Obviously, if there are structural changes, then they will they will change just some of the things that they're doing, maybe reflected on the website, things like that. But uh, Dr. Moeller said these are deadly serious times. And so there were already issues in, in higher education, but now they are magnified. And so they really felt like they needed to hone in on making some of those shifts very quickly. And so in responding to that challenge, now we've seen already in other trustee meetings for seminaries, every board has had to face what, what next? I mean, obviously they're they're transitioning to online instruction. They've had to cancel lots of events. And then people are looking at budgetary things. A lot of them have decided to wait on their budget approval until later in the summer. But what we have seen is decisions that were normally made just kind of standard schedule. 
the COVID-19 situation has really magnified some things that, that they had to deal with. Yes, you mentioned the 30% budget reduction. That takes their 2019-2020 budget of $53.2 million down $16 million to $37.2 million for 2020-21, and, which is a, just a staggering budget cut right there. But something good for students, you mentioned the uh, lowering the tuition. They also are eliminating a $250 technology fee for online courses, since a lot of the courses now will probably be delivered online, whether students can return is still, that's kind of up in the air yet, if they're going to be able to return to campus in the fall. So they're expecting a, a surge in their online campus. So they are waiving that $250 technology fee per class. So helpful that's, to the students. Right. Also some board business. They elected Clint Presley, senior pastor over at Hickory Grove in Charlotte, North Carolina, as the chairman. So Congratulations to Clint. I, can we consider Clint a friend of the pod? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Didn't he? Didn't he do an interview one time? He on might him? have. I think we have. I had think him he on did. Here. I think we did. So yes, yes, friend of the pod, Clint Presley, on as the chairman of the board at Southern. So congratulations to Clint. John Montgomery, who's the dean of spiritual life out at Cal Baptist in Riverside, California, is the first vice chairman. Nick Floyd, senior pastor at Cross Church, and also friend of the pod is uh, the second vice chairman. Rick Staub was reelected the chairman of the financial board and Keith Daniels was reelected as the secretary. So those are the officer elections at Southern. And we head over to your neck of the woods, Amy, and Wake Forest for the Southeastern trustee report. This was a, a strange, strange week because obviously we've had this on our calendar for some time. This was going to be the first board meeting that I was not on staff at Southeastern, but obviously there are dinners involved and, and things like that. So I would have been around for events and everything was, was canceled. It was a zoom meeting. That was it. So yeah, I was going to come to the Southeastern society meeting this time. I mean, I had it. Marked. Finally, you finally were going to come. And y'all canceled wow. it on me. I know. I know. So, uh, so very different trustee meeting. Very odd that, you know, Keith just was, in the office here at the house at the trustee meeting. So I bet Keith liked that. Well, I'm sure he enjoyed not, you know, didn't have to get dressed up. We didn't have to go, you know, go out. You're not running like around so. like crazy, like most trustee meetings. Yes. Yeah. And so that was the nice side, but it's always sad to not get to see people exactly. and to, to catch up. But anyway, they, they had their meeting. The major, the major action in that one was, authorization to participate in the federal paycheck protection program. And so that the focus of that really was to be able to avoid certain measures like faculty and staff layoffs. The school has instituted a hiring freeze, has frozen unnecessary spending and is working toward a budget that they did defer until later, but I'm sure will be downsized. Dr. Aiken told the trustees that he anticipated the budget when it's finalized would be certainly reduced that they've created plans to survive cuts of 5% up to 30%. So multiple plans there, and then including that authorization for the Paycheck Protection Program, preparing for a new budget later in the summer. That's also what we've seen related to the budget from Southwestern and New Orleans. So we will kind of probably expect those sometime in June. I think all of them had deadlines around June before June 15th, I think was the, was the, uh, the timing on those. I remember the, uh, New Orleans one was June 2nd. 
So, cause they had a meeting already scheduled. So they were going to take that up there. You mentioned the payroll protection program. That is the big news out of that one. They also have set aside approximately $250,000 in a fund to assist students with financial needs due to COVID-19. So we're seeing that from a lot of the seminaries. That's great to see from our seminaries, how they're stepping up, uh, to, to help students with other needs, not just kind of tuition and scholarships, those kind of things, but those livelihood needs that have come up. We've seen that from several seminaries and then they elected new, Trustee Chairman Tim Dale, a retired banker from Wilson, North Carolina. He succeeds. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Really? Okay. He, re- yes. he, he succeeds Becky Gardner, who was yes. the previous chairperson. So Brett Golson, the dean of the School of Missions down at William Carey University in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I went to college. Not there, but just down 49 at Southern Miss. Uh, but I'm, you know, Hattiesburg nonetheless. Was He was elected vice chairman. Charles Cranford, an attorney in Charlotte, was elected as treasurer. Alex Gonzalez, who's with the Also SB- friend of the pod. Okay. Also friend of the pod. All right. Well, thanks for listening, Alex. Uh, he's with the SBTC. He's a church That's relations right. and ministry associate over there in Texas. So uh, congratulations to them. One faculty election to speak of in this one, Amy, Kristen Kellen. Yes. Assistant Professor of Biblical Counseling, Dr. Kellen, is wonderful. I love her. Uh, she is a friend of the pod, good friend of mine. So okay. very, Has she very been excited. there on campus? She, is this a... Yes, yes. This is fa- So this is faculty election because faculty can come in under a contract. Ah. So she's already been a full-time faculty member, but she was elected by the trustees. Okay. And that's just, it's just different processes. Who did she beat in the runoff? I have no idea. I, I have no, no clue. They kept that secret. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, congratulations to Not Kristen. Not the right use of the word election there. Uh, so it was it was preordained, Amy. There you go. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. You're going to use every single definition possible for election. Maybe. All right. Okay. Keep on going. All right. So that does it for Southeastern. And that brings us to the 2020 SBC Pastors Conference uh, notification last Friday. This dropped after our episode last Friday. It was canceled, obviously, with the cancellation of the Southern Baptist Convention this summer. But next year, it's going to look a little bit different, Amy. It's going to be put on by the North American Mission Board and IMB, and it was going to be kind of a send event. This announcement comes where I think everyone realized that the 2020 Pastors Conference was not going to continue, but moving forward, David Youth said, when we gather in Nashville for the 2021 Pastors Conference, more than anything else, we need to focus on and rally around the mission, which brings us together. Nothing is needed more than a movement of God in our churches to engage our people in reaching the lost world with the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ especially in the aftermath of COVID-19. I want the Pastors Conference 2021 to be entirely about this call back to our singular mission of the Great Commission. So I'm looking forward to that. You remember the last SIN conference we had? You know where that was, Amy? Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. Unless there was another one I forgot about. I think they did some tour stuff, but like the last yeah, big they one did was the, Nashville, 2015. It was it. That's right. And they did do some tours because they it was regional events and they did one at yeah. Southeastern. And guess where so the next one is, Amy? Nashville. Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. But I guess it'll be in a different place because yeah. the one the last one in Nashville was in the Bridgestone, but the annual meeting is at the Gaylord yes. Center. So I guess that Not means this the will old be at Gaylord. Gaylord Center, which would have been the Bridgestone. Bridgestone. Arena. But it's at Gaylord Opryland. It's at the hotel. Yeah. It's at Opryland. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be a fun time next year. Something a little different on Sunday and Monday. Uh, That's for the, right. Instead of the pastor's conference. Probably be very similar, you know, preaching, worship. Right. 
missionary but just moments. A, right. But just a, a, a missions focus. Speaking of missions. Yes, the Sub-Saharan Africa team for the International Mission Board has announced a 55-in-5 strategy, meaning that they have a five-year goal to engage 55 unengaged, unreached people groups in Sub-Saharan Africa. So each of these unreached, unengaged people groups has a population of more than 100,000 people. So this is like 5.5 million people at least that's right. that that they're trying to reach over the next five years to engage that's them. Right. So that's that's an incredible thing. It really is. And let's be clear about that definition. An unengaged, unreached people group, UUPG is what the kind of the acronym for that, is when no indigenous community of believers who is able to engage this group exists and there is no strategy for church planting consistent with evangelical faith and practice taking place. So sometimes what you'll have is an unreached people group, but they've been engaged. Like there is someone that's made a connection yeah. to them. Somebody's There's working, someone, trying to make it happen. Right. But they haven't been reached yet. This is 55 people groups who are unreached and unengaged. So really incredible goal. I'm excited about this. Yeah. So it should be really good. And if you're interested in this, there's a webpage at the IMB website. So it's in the story over at Baptist Press. So check that out, 55 in five. So five-year plan. I mean, I, I, that's that's a big plan, 55 people. That's like one a month. That's right. For the next five and, years, trying to engage. And here's, and here's how all of us can help, can be a part of it, is that the first year is a year of prayer and education. And so they are going to take first steps among their teams and partnering churches. They're going to focus every month on five priority people groups, and they will put resources on those people groups in that 55 and 5 webpage. And also their missionaries will send the resources to prayer supporters, partnering churches. So this is something we can be a part of is praying for those people groups. And that is an incredible way. Prayer is an incredible way that the Lord has put in our lives and in our hearts to be able to be part of the mission. So this first year, we can be right alongside them. Yes. And if you are friends of the pod, you know that we have had some sub-Saharan African missionaries here on yes, the we pod have. before. William and Heidi Hahn. Missionaries in West Africa. We did an interview with them. You should put that in the show notes. So you that did can the interview with them. You remember? I did. I had some I did. It was great. or something that popped up, and you did the interview with them. That's and right. Had I had to locusts. do the whole thing. They yes. The locust? I had was to it do, locust? I'd, cicadas? Was it, like, was it? I don't know. It was something, it was something in, the in the background. Yes. Really that crazy was a noise. Great, that was a great conversation. I had completely forgotten until you just said this, that you weren't on that. Because the whole time we'd been planning for you to be there. And then I did it. Yes, you had but to do it on your own. It's Yes. But we should put a link to that in the show notes so that people can hear. And it just gives another tangible way to pray. Yes. Speaking of great interviews, we've got a good one today. That's coming in just a few minutes. we got a couple of stories, though, to get to uh, before we get to the interview that we have with Herschel and Tanya York. So I had a great interview with them this week. So we'll get to that in just a yes. minute. But first, Charles Billingsley who's not a friend of the pod, but I'd be cool with that if he was. Uh, he, oh, man. COVID-19. I want him to be. Yeah. I want him to be. He Give just, us a he, shout out if he, yes. if he ever does. He, he yeah. just recovered from COVID-19. He was in the hospital. I think we may have mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on the podcast uh, for people to pray for him, but he just got out of the hospital, and, and he's had quite a month. So in the past month, 
He's celebrated his 26th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, by the way. His wife had yes. a birthday. Also, I guess congratulations to her. Uh, happy birthday. Released a new album and spent a few days in the hospital with COVID-19. What a Pretty wild amazing. Yes. Yeah, that's been that's been quite a month. Yeah, he had residual double pneumonia still this week when he spoke to uh, Diana Chandler of Baptist Press and just you know still trying to get back from that. And we've been watching some uh videos from him on Facebook. He's been doing some updates on Facebook and and you can tell just the energy that has been zapped out of him from this. So we are glad that he has recovered from that. And uh, there's a great story here in Baptist Press about his battle with COVID-19 and also the new album that he just released. So if you're fans of Charles Billingsley, like we are, go out, check out the album, check out the story uh, that is in Baptist Press. If he would ever listen to our podcast, I'm going to just say right now, I'm a fan all the way. I'm a fan of New Song. Yes, way back. I went to so many of those concerts when I was a college student, and People Get Ready. That was my favorite album. I wore that thing out. I right. bet I can't, I'll have to check this new album out, but I bet you I will not love it as much as I loved People Get Ready. Okay. Well, who knew that Charles Billingsley was a big deal at Converse College? I bet he didn't even know that. I, I was in FCA at Wofford College, which is right there at Converse. So Wofford and Go Converse Terriers. had a joint, had a joint FCA. And so it, the, the FCA, they're really a lot of new song fans, and so we yeah. we would go to a lot of concerts. You do but. know what the A stands for in FCA, right? Okay, if you go to the mission, <laughs> it's for it's 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 for athletes and all who they influence. And I'm from a family of athletes, Christian athletes, who all influenced me, so it counted. Okay. Yes, Technicalities. I was able Loopholes to be very involved. with Amy Woodfield. Here. Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay. Uh, last story here, Lifeway, uh, we mentioned it at the top of the show, Lifeway has uh, announced some options and offers for churches to do VBS this year, looking at four different ways to do VBS. Yeah, so multiple options. There are four different things in keeping with the theme, Concretes and Cranes. They have traditional VBS because they recognize that in some contexts, and this would be more you know, smaller churches, that it's safe to meet as usual, smaller churches or churches not in hot spots. So if they have to change the dates, do it later in the summer, VBS can still happen as planned. Those, those supplies and resources are available. Another option is a neighborhood VBS. So that's where if churches want to send volunteers to do socially distanced VBS programs in driveways, front porches. This sounds like backyard Bible clubs. Yes. Basically. Exactly what so, it is. Yeah, so neighborhood VBS would be backyard Bible club style, and so they've got resources for that. Alternate VBS, which is where they maybe do as a, a back-to-school kickoff, Labor Day weekend, doing VBS over several consecutive weeks, and so they could do it after the summer. There's that option. Yeah, do it on Wednesday or, nights, Sunday mornings, Sunday right. nights, those kind of things. Right, or VBS at home. So that churches could post or live stream worship rallies, get the kids viewing, use delivery methods to help parents facilitate Bible study crafts at home, things like that. So it says they want they want to think of VBS as a content based experience, not necessarily as a gathering or at least in the same way that it's about connecting kids to the gospel through music, Bible teaching and activities. So VBS may look different than what we're accustomed to, but let's think of innovative ways. Yes. So 
that's out there. And a conversation that you had with Melita Thomas mm-hmm. is also in that story. Yes. So she's so, the VBS and Kids Ministry Specialist. Yep. You can watch that over there at the story or on the Baptist Press Facebook page. So that is available to everyone who wants to see it. All right. I mentioned it earlier. Tanya York and Herschel York, uh, we're going to lead with her. She's the the prime billing here. Had a chance to join us this week and talk about their drive-by Annie and what a delightful conversation this was. Joining us today on SBC This Week are Herschel and Tanya York. Herschel is the senior pastor at Buck Run Baptist Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Amy, I think we have a an official meeting of the Tanya York fan club. We have the president and vice president here today on the podcast. Yes, yes, we do. I have decided to let Dr. York be the president of the fan club, but I am coming in at a close second. Um, so ever since I took Tanya York's marriage and family class at Southern Seminary, I have been way up in her fan club. She is, has meant a lot to me. So well, thank you all for coming on. Yeah, delighted. delighted. You guys are two of our favorite people too. So we wanted to have you on. We talked about this on the podcast a week or so ago. And you had a special Sunday at your church a couple of weeks ago that just blew us away. We, we found out about it. We wrote a story in Baptist Press about it. But tell us about the, the drive-through Annie Armstrong Easter offering that you guys did at Buck Run. It blew us away, too, uh, by it, it the way. Did. The response was fantastic. First of all, I've got to say, uh, as president of the Tanya York Fan Club, it was completely her idea. You know, I mean, when the when the whole COVID nineteen thing hit, one of the first thoughts we're all thinking at, at Buck Run is, "Oh man, not even Easter Sunday." You know how how are we going to do this? And uh, Kevin Easel is one of my dear friends as well, and and Tanya's a trustee at NAM, uh, and just knowing the burden on NAM of any Armstrong offering is not probably going to be this year, what it was, and all that, and. So just a lot of different forces combined, the lack of getting to see our folks, the lack, you know, knowing that it's going to be hard to really promote Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions and all that. And Tanya just came up with the idea. She said, hey, why don't we do a drive-through, a drive-by, and call it Drive-By Any. Give it a little bit of a catchy name. And Buckrun people are all about fellowship. And man, of course, we've been there 16 years now. We feel incredibly loved. And, uh, you know, and I, I knew immediately, man, that'll work with our people. They will, they will love the idea. And man, they did. They, they turned up and Tony and I sit out there all day long. I mean, uh, amazing. so we had a sunrise service, uh, at whatever time sun came up, 710 like or whatever. And then too early, right? Yeah, it was early. early. And then they could come by anytime up until the the our live service started at ten forty five. So we stood out there and greeted people who came by then and then at twelve thirty, uh people started coming and did it all afternoon till I think four or four thirty, whenever mm-hmm. we had the cutoff time. And man, it was uh it, it was just all day long. And people were so happy uh and excited and seeing Folks come and give their offering, little children, older folks. It, it was a, a small parade sort of feeling. It was. It was um, really precious. They would, We would see them coming in on our campus at a distance and then drive around this where we had signs set up and crook them around basically our parking lot. And so they had enough time to sort of position themselves from the entrance of the party 
uh, our property rather to get up to the portico where they would drop off their offering in a box. The little kids would like roll down their windows or stand up through a sunroof as their parents. It was so cool. Older people, all of yeah, it. it was some, great. Some children cried because they yeah. couldn't get out and uh, hug us. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was sweet and excruciating. Well, that that just sounds so special and meaningful and personal. So give us a little bit of the logistics of this. Like how how did you do this? How did you get the word out to your to your people? What options did they have um to to do this? Did did you have people that gave online, things like that or and how did you set up your parking lot, things like that? Well, we we told people about it in advance just on our weekly broadcast. We also have a buck run app uh, and we can push notifications and we notify them through the Buckland app as well. Facebook. Uh, right on Facebook, we put up letters. Buck run has a incredible, an incredible tradition of giving to missions. So at, at Christmas, we do this thing called walk to the manger. It's the hokiest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> and yet our people love it and they give, we had a, we had a $100,000 offering for Lottie Moon this year uh, and with our walk to the manger. And a lot of people give online too, but you know, we, the key at Buck Run is we ask everybody to do something. You know, we've got people that are comfortable and we have people that are just getting by. But we ask everyone, everyone to do something. And so we told people, you can give online. That's fine. You don't, you don't have to bring your offering here. But if you'd like to just come and drive through and say hi to us and just see us, and the other pastors, you can do that. And there were people who came and said, hey, we gave online, but we just wanted to see you. So we, we just had it where they, they enter our property and we had cones set up where they just went around and came under one of our two covered drop-off areas. And we and the other pastors stood there just like, you know, you, you, you got to be excited all day long. <laughs> and, and we were. And we it were. Wasn't a challenge. <laughs> My feet were killing me by 4.30 that afternoon. But, you know, just the, the joy of seeing people that we miss. Oh, a- Amy and Jonathan, listen how sweet. Like, we, he was talking about everybody gives something. Every, every little kid all the way up to, you know, the grave, basically. So that we had some people who they've been going undergoing cancer treatments. They show up. They are just to drive by us. And so we're between the vehicle and the church building and out the, out the driver's side, we just had a big box sitting on a table that they could just drop in their offering. At the same time, we've actually got a, a new guy that and his wife family that we called to come serve alongside us. So they were even dropping in cards welcoming cards, him yeah. uh, and their family there. But little kids were doing it. You know what would actually fed the um, idea as you guys have seen it, it's all those drive by birthday parties. And we had already participated in several little kids' birthday parties where we would just line up and drive by and just shout out the window at these, you know, the family, these little kids. And the delight that this brought them for just even a moment. I was just like, man, that's just such a sweet grace. It shows how much community matters to people. So between the community feels that we've been missing and then the need for the, of the missionaries for NAM, those two things just seemed like a perfect collide. Yeah. 
uh, I've got to tell you one story. So we've got this young lady in our church. She's a college student who is rearing her sister's three children. Her sister has addiction problems. And she has taken those three children. And as a single woman, a godly, incredible, young African-American woman, she is rearing those kids. And man, when she pulled up, with those three children, she's yeah. single-handedly raising to put in her Annie Armstrong offering. We lost it. I lost it. You know, it's like, oh my goodness! If there's anybody that you would just think, okay, she doesn't have to give anything. It's okay, but she just, she just, Johnson, I mean, man, crying. she just getting by. And to see that, that I'm like, precious? man, I knew then that this day is special. Uh, and God's going to use it. He's going to use it far beyond our church. Uh, and I do think we've seen other churches sort of catch a vision. Some churches have just adopted wholesale what we did. Others are saying, oh, man, we need to do something for Annie. And they're coming up with other creative and wonderful ideas. Uh, Kevin Ezel told me he really thinks that this is making a difference of, and the word he used was millions of dollars. Uh, that this sort of reignited uh, a a a desire to give to Annie and an awareness of it uh, because uh, man, it's this is a challenging time and the North American Mission Board, I think, very graciously and kindly said we're not going to pressure churches about this. We're going to take a hit, and so it's up to us, the churches, to to do that ourselves mm-hmm. and to remember our mission. You, I, you've got me and Amy over here, like yeah. both crying with that story. What an incredible thing! So you mentioned the North American Mission Board, and that Tanya, you're a, a trustee there. What has that experience been like for you? How, how have you? How's been being a trustee really helped you grasp? I mean, you're obviously no stranger to Southern Baptist life. You guys have been around it for a long time, right. but right. how has being a trustee at NAM really helped? You know pull back the curtain a little bit on what what's going on through Southern Baptist life around North America? Oh, it's, it's incredibly exciting because we, we do um, once a year, at least we're going to one of the, like the send church sites, send network sites. And uh, recently we were just in Puerto Rico. And when we go there and we see um, as trustees, like what the need is, what the fruit is looking like, what, how it's, how it's paying off serving, you know, um, as a trustee, how incredibly rewarding it is. It, it makes me hear numbers. It makes me see faces. It makes me come uh, become more aware of exactly what the need is and how the needs are being met and need to be met. And so it has caused me to be more active, I guess, and even vocal in my church. Take, take it on personally. That's right. You, you really have been an advocate and Buck Run for North American missions. We've got people now involved in disaster relief. And of course, we've sent out two church planters with NAM ourselves. We've got one in San Francisco, one in Fort Collins, Colorado, that planted churches. And then the, the Lord, it's, it's exciting to see that the Lord can use a 200 year old church called Buck Run <laughs> to reach San Francisco, you know, and, uh, and Fort Collins, Colorado, he's just raising up. Uh, in fact, one of our young ladies just went through uh, NAM training just last week. 
and she took a little video of her screen. It was, it was all done online, of course. And they showed the video of our drive-by Annie to the trainees that day just to show them how churches are supporting you and encouraging you. She sent us the little clip. Man, that's when it's full circle. You see God doing the work and sending out and bringing back. It's just awesome. Yeah, it's it's made, it really has caused this ownership feeling of I got it. I'm responsible to contribute to the working of the SBC. And, and here's my little pocket of something I can do. And like we've worked hard with, um, we've got Gen Sin students who've gone out now, this um, Send Relief missionary. That's part of that. It was really sweet seeing her. I'm on, um, I'm on the Send Relief Committee. And so when her name came through, I just can't tell you because it's, it's our girl, you yeah. know, and just the and fact. Her since she was a little girl. Yeah, so it was incredibly rewarding. And um, we love watching that. We love knowing that we get some fruit in that. It's just precious to us. Well, let's talk about sort of the tangibles at the end of this. Now, the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, 100% goes directly to support Southern Baptist missionaries in the United States and Canada. And in the results, because we did the Baptist Press story on this, um, and the executive pastor there at Buck Run said that the offering totaled $28,082.69, which kind of blew things out of the water from the past. It's, from the past. it's gone over 30000 Has it really? So, 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 so did you expect that? Like, what did you think, especially given the time that we're in, for it to go, for it to be like that? I, I, you know, I never in my mind put a number on it, but I did tell the other pastors we'll have the largest offering we've ever had, the largest Annie Armstrong offering we've ever had. I was confident of it. Our folks just respond, man. Uh, you know, I think, uh, I think when you first get married, you sort of see each other's warts and you go, wow, this, I didn't expect this. Then you learn how to make peace with it and to overlook each other's faults. There comes a, a stage later in life where you, it's like you don't even notice each other's fault. You, you don't see them anymore. It's not like you're overlooking them. It's like you have this idealized version of each other. I think the same thing is true in my pastor. First three years I was there, you know, we were seeing each other's warts and faults. And, you know, I wasn't their previous pastor whom they loved dearly. And, you know, they weren't the church I'd pastored before. And then we come to a place where, Okay, now, you know, we've learned to overlook that. We, we're going to love each other and get through this. But, man, 16 years in, it's like they think I'm the greatest pastor that's ever been, and I think they're the greatest church that's ever been. And there, there's just this this incredible affection between pastor and congregation that is just a joy. And, uh, it, and of course, I ride Tanya's coattails everywhere I go. <laughs> Speak to that. Just uh, this is the one question I have, and then if Jonathan has anything else, uh, he can wrap it up. You said earlier that you know Nam stepped back and said we're not going to pressure the churches, and so this year the churches really need to step up. In your sort of relationship with Buck Run, your role as pastor, uh, how can you encourage other pastors in this same thing that this has to be something that is really done from the churches? That's the thing. I had a deacon several years ago uh, who came to me about a need that he thought we should meet. And I was like, oh, I don't know if we can do that. He said, Pastor, uh, 
our church will do it if you ask, but you have to ask. And it's terribly inconvenient when your deacons are more spiritual than you are. Uh, but he, you know, he was, and he, he taught me a lesson he, and it's exactly right. The, the pastor has to ask. And I think this is where pastors really have to lead that uh, everybody's worried about, are we going to make our payroll? Are we going to, are we going to get through this financially? And it's tough, but frankly, I just have learned when you encourage people to give in ways that don't benefit you directly in any way, it opens them up to give more to everything. It, there's, it's just a flow of generosity. So I really believe for the churches that might be a little concerned about whether or not they're going to make it financially through this stuff, the best thing to do is encourage your people to give to something that's not you. You're, you're asking for bread yeah. for another. That's exactly right. You're asking for bread for someone else. And I think the Lord blesses it. I Excellent. think it frees your people up and it glorifies Christ in a, in a way that uh, you see a lot of fruit from. There comes a point where you just go, are we trying to build our kingdom or his kingdom? And you really have to go building his kingdom means you don't worry about building your own kingdom and let the Lord do his stuff. And so it's, it was, it was just beautiful the way that the Lord showed us his faithfulness to us. He showed up and he showed off. He sure did. Well, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to us and, and tell us that story. Just an incredible movement uh, that, that God is doing there in Frankfurt and, and through you guys, like you said, in Fort Collins, in San Francisco, all across North America. And we know there are churches out there just like yours who who's moving in as well. And we would encourage uh, everybody, if, if you haven't done a an emphasis for Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American Missions, there's still time. Like we, we talked about it last week. You don't have to do it last week or the week before. You still got plenty of time. So uh, take this, put it on your calendar if you can, and see what God will do through and in your people. And I, I, I guarantee you, you'll be blown away just like uh, the Yorks were. So thank you all again for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks. Jonathan, thanks, Amy. Thanks. Okay, Lord bless you guys. Well, we really do appreciate the Yorks taking the time to talk to us about that drive through any uh, event that they had at their church. Just a, an incredible story. And Amy, that's going to bring us to my now second favorite part of the week, at least for this week. This week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. We're going to go back to 1976, and I just decided this week, every now and then, we got to throw in the light ones, and I, and when I see a story that just makes me, um, that makes me chuckle, I have to, I, I have to do it. So, 1976, April 22nd issue of Baptist Press, if you go kind of halfway through there on uh, the third page, there's a story that the headline, this is a real, this is a real clickbait headline. If there was actually clickbait back then, it says, I think I found it. Lincoln's nose, not off limits. So it's out of Pinckneyville, Illinois, which of course, if you're going to talk about Lincoln, it's going to, it's got to be either, it's got to be either DC, maybe Kentucky or Illinois. So Beth Emling, who was an 11 year old at first Baptist church, in Pinckneyville, I guess, um, that she and her family were visiting Abraham Lincoln's tomb at Springfield, Illinois. And she told her brothers 
that her teachers had said it was good luck to rub the nose on the bust of Lincoln that was in front of the tomb. And the guide said no. The guide told her no, and then, and she's almost in tears. So she asks her father what she should do, and he suggested writing a letter to her state representative, Ralph Dunn, who was a member of Duquoin. I'm not sure I'm saying that right, but he was a member of First Baptist Church in Duquoin, Illinois. And he turned around and wrote some officials, and she got a letter from the state conservation director telling her there is no policy forbidding people to touch the statues at Lincoln's tomb and invited her to come back, which she may now do that, which she may do now that Lincoln's nose is no longer off limits. And so I think the moral of the story is use your networks. I mean, Beth is a member of First Baptist Church there in, I guess, Pinckneyville. She writes to her state representative, who's the member of First Baptist Church in Duquan, Illinois, and she gets the answers to their questions. We've got lots of people who can talk to each other. And they were doing that this week in SBC history. And the other moral is, if you go visit Lincoln's tomb, you can rub the nose on the statue in front of the tomb. Yes. I'm looking at a website right now. Lincoln's tomb and lucky nose. 200,000 people a year visits Lincoln's tomb in Springfield's Oak Ridge Cemetery. Judging by the appearance of Abe's big bronze head, lots of those visitors make a point to stop and give a rub to Lincoln's nose. So there so you go. So apparently the guy didn't know because that, I mean, it was taught because Beth's, Beth's teacher knew about it, but the guide did not know about it and wouldn't let her do it. But she she did, she used her networks there. She she wrote and and uh, they, they figured it out. right? That's right. Something. Not, not that's really right. congressman, I don't think. I think he's a state rep, wasn't it? Well, he's a state, that's a state congressman. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So, yes, I, my favorite line is from this thing. It says, give Abraham's honker a good burnish. Oh, wow. That's not in the story. That's in the uh, thing. You should put the link in that's the show the notes to, to that It's just also. a web. It, apparently, there, this is the thing. It's, it's a legit thing because there's a lot of things about Abraham Lincoln's lucky nose in Springfield, Illinois. Yeah. So... So I've tried in the last several weeks to do some history moments that might connect with all the things that are going on. But every now and then, you just got to have a just gotta have a light week. It's even on Wikipedia. The nose remains shiny due to the tradition of rubbing Lincoln's nose for good luck. Fascinating. You know, I've never been to Lincoln's tomb. I have been to his birthplace. I find this actually surprising. Yeah, I've been to his birthplace in Kentucky. I've never been to Springfield, so. Yeah, in, yeah. in Kentucky where you can go... And then, like, you go into this big thing and there's a cabin in there. But what's kind of weird is, I think if I remember correctly, there's all these ropes around it and you can't touch it, but it's not actually the real cabin. So, I think I'm remembering that right. Don't rub the cabin. And there's a ton of steps to get up to it, like Rocky steps from, you know, from the Rocky movie. Like, that many. It's a ton. Oh, oh, not like rock made out of rock, but like no, Rocky like the movie. Rocky the at least when I was a girl, it seemed like those steps were. There's probably like eight of them. Probably All right. so. Yeah. So there you go. Well, that's really cool. Really cool. All right. So our resource of the week, joint resource of the week this week. And it is a new video on the cooperative program. So we've got a new video. We'll put that at the show notes. Uh, also in a story on Baptist Press because Amy, this weekend is cooperative program Sunday. 
Yes, it is. So, of course, every Sunday is Cooperative Program Sunday, but this is a special one. This is also true. This is a special one on the SBC calendar for us to just sort of remember the importance of that and uh, all the things that the Cooperative Program does. And I think we've had a real reminder in recent days as we've watched so many things happening at at all levels, both at state conventions and at Southern Baptist Cooperative Program Ministries everywhere, Send Relief, um, what all of our seminaries, mission boards, things that they are doing um, to help serve students and, and mi- missionaries on the field. So a lot of a lot of things are made possible by the Cooperative Program, and this video gives just a snapshot. Yes, yeah, so we encourage you, download the video, use it in your local church, put it in, maybe in the uh, like the pre-roll of your service if you're doing online streaming right now or whenever you go back you can even use it maybe play it during the offering be a good uh actually a really good use of video during the offering so you can play that instead of an offertory song or something like that use the video put it up there while people are giving so they know exactly what their gifts are going toward and they see that in a tangible and real way there in the local church so uh, that video has been made available to download over at our vimeo account so do that use it in your local church Uh, Use it on social media, however you see fit in your local church. So that is our resource of the week. So that's going to do it for our episode this week, Amy. I mean, just uh, we have a a jam-packed one. This is a long one. so Yeah, a lot, but a good one with that interview. Oh, yes. Interview makes it all worthwhile. Uh, Some big news this week. and, And like we said at the top of the show, we'll keep an eye on how churches are reopening, what's going on with that and the COVID-19 pandemic, and be bringing that to you on Baptist Press and here on the show probably starting next week. Some some guidelines, some questions, those kind of things for you to use in your local church. Let us know if you have any questions on that. Hit us up on Twitter at SBC This Week, at Jonathan underscore How, or at AC Wit. Uh, on Twitter and uh, catch us on Facebook as well. So thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Mm-hmm.